hi there welcome back to the just look at the to show <sighs> thanks for a billion views that's great and shout out to KAMP student radio at the University of Arizona in two stones and KPYT Kafkaiaki Tribal Radio on the res with Trista Show. <clears throat> yeah, so let's continue. This is fascinating stuff. Enoch becomes Metatron and proves links to the Nephilim and Moses Sumerian Enigma. Quite a mouthful. Sumerian origins. This is the write-up about it. Ancient legend and lore maintain that Enoch had superior knowledge and visited heaven where he learned about the nature of the universe, of the angels, and of gods. By the way, um, from the description of in Enoch's, which is one of the, um, the forbidden gospels, the church didn't want us to, to know about the book of Enoch. He, Enoch wrote books of all he learned, and upon returning to earth, he shared his understandings with his family and friends until God took him this time forever. In heaven, Enoch becomes an extraordinary angel, also referred to as Metatron. That's very interesting because I named a chick after. I named a chick Metatron. Um, this story is supported by the book of Enoch. Apocalyptic literature last mentioned in the 9th century until its rediscovery in the 18th century. Apocalyptic literature. Okay, podcast series to educate, dedicated playlist here. Wow. For weekly podcast. Wow. Um, okay. Let's. This is just posted by Named the after their ancestor Anak, lived among the natives. They became Amalekites, descendants of Amalek, when they settled in the Negev and Seir area. The capital of their nation was Hebron. During the Exodus, these plagues became a scourge on the Hebrews. A city with an ancient history, Jericho has been discovered through excavations. From circa 8,000 B.C. until about 1,500 B.C., it was continuously occupied with occasional interruptions and destructions until it was destroyed, never to be rebuilt. The Bronze Age is the period we are concerned with here. From about 3,200 B.C. until about 2,200 B.C., Jericho flourished, then suddenly ceased to exist. This strongly fortified city was destroyed by intense heat, so intense that its brick walls were reddened right through the center. After 2000 BC, a new type of fortification... They had weapons uh, of mass destruction. Uh, And that, that were much like a nuclear war. Uh, with radiation and in Libya there's a, in, a place where see what if there's uh, if there's like a nuclear bomb or something it creates this it's like a glass so they have in Libya they have all this like nuclear glass very ancient 
And by the way, um, Egypt now is there's a lot of sand. You know that um, the Sphinx was almost covered in sand. And actually, there was a who was it, Ramses or something like that. That, that um, communicated with the Sphinx, which asked him to uh, promise that if he uh, cleaned sand off, <laughs> that she would be king or something like that. You know, that would make a good like, children's book, I guess. Maybe was introduced here, the glasses or scarf type. Apart from Jericho, this defense system can also be found in Palestine, northern Syria, and even in the delta of Egypt. Hyksos are usually credited with their invention. Stone walls and moats surround a steeply sloping scarf of soil covered with brick, tile, or plaster. Another wall is found at the top of the sloping scarf or glasses. Reconstructions of Jericho's defenses show a stone revetment 10 feet in height and a faster slope at a 35 degree angle rising 35 feet 10.77 meters above the revetment. At its crest is a high brick wall which stands 65 feet 20 meters from the stone wall at its bottom. Its formidable appearance is revealed in a cross section of the defense fortification. In the West, many cities were defended this way after 2000 BC. All these cities were united by a common culture or organization. The Rephaim were known for their military engineering genius, which was their common bond. Bethshean, Shechem, Gezer, Megiddo, Hazor, Sarahen, and many other Palestinian cities used this defense. In Anatolia and northern Syria, they can also be found at Alalakh, Kashemish, and Ugari. In the delta region of Egypt, they are Anatolia, also found Anatolia. Transjordan, where fortified cities were built along the main north-south road, the King's Highway, is not known to have... Hello, I am Sergio Magaña. I am a practitioner and teacher of the ancient Toltec and Mexica knowledge. Nice. I would like to share with you what is the main body of knowledge of these traditions that are barely known in the world and that now are in the exact time to be rediscovered. In the ancient times, there was a specialized part of this uh, knowledge that was only taught to priests, to rulers, and to warriors, and that was named Nawalism. Actually, today we will translate that. Uh, not exactly, because it's not an exact translation, but like the science of I, or the science of who I am. So, for that part of the knowledge, your dreams created your reality. You have to dream something first, and then it will manifest. So the ancient science of dreams uh, developed a very, very sophisticated body of knowledge that includes dream planting to ask your unconscious to dream certain archetypes in order to get a result. Of course, how to enter in the first stage of, 
uh, in that time they didn't know it by name, but that now we call the deep sleep. And what to do that if you were able to be lucid, to repair your body, to transform it, and then how to enter in lucidity, that is that you are aware that you are dreaming when you are dreaming. And what to do when you are lucid in order to create a better life or changes in your family, on your ancestors. So if you want to learn a little bit or not a lot of bit of the ancient knowledge of dreaming, I invite you to the free online event that we will be doing together. Right on, sounds cool, man. Toltec Dreaming. The Shift Network, what is the Shift Network? Toltec Dreaming and the Prophecies of the Suns, wow. Ancient dreaming practices to release the past, heighten intuition, heal and manifest. Oh. Okay. Free video event. Oh, right. tomorrow at noon if you want to if you're interested too then welcome to come back to my podcast I'm reserving a spot tomorrow at noon Sergio Magana to have had classes defenses though an influential civilization flourished between the 23rd and 22nd centuries it took a thousand years to rebuild these cities after they were destroyed at that time having learned from this experience these Rephaim rebuilt their by the way you know how um, when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed and it says that somebody turned into a pillar of salt well that was mistranslated it's actually a pillar of ash so um maybe they purposely mistranslated it because if it's ash then you know that it's like a weapon of some sort their cities so that such wholesale destruction would not happen again. Additionally, they abandoned their loyalty to the Sumerian kings, resisted established authority, and roamed the lands as armed warrior bands. As the feudal system crumbled and terrorized northern France, the roving knights of the 14th century AD lost all fealty. In the 19th through 11th centuries BC, 
The Anarchim terrorized the surrounding land from behind their impregnable glasses-type defenses. The Book of Judges describes these forays. After ravaging the countryside and plundering at will, chariots left their citadels and ravaged the countryside. Efforts at resistance were immediately crushed. They reinforced their dominance over the land by controlling the production and use of iron. According to the first book of Samuel, there were no smiths in Israel, and the Philistines and their allies, the Kenites, who were skilled in metal smithing, repaired metal tools such as plowshares and sickles. For centuries, the Rephaim controlled the lands of Egypt and Palestine. In 2085 BC, Mesopotamian kings invaded Palestine via Damascus and followed the king's highway south to Eloth on the Gulf of Aqaba. Taking this route led them up against the Rephaim citadels, a sort of Maginot line that protected Palestine from such incursions along the Transjordan. According to the Haggadah, there were 800,000 invading kings, and their power must have been overwhelming, as they did not only crush these fortified cities, but never rebuilt them, and the land remained vacant for a thousand years. According to Genesis, they followed the following route. Their first victory was at Ashtaroth Karnaim in the Transjordan, where they entered from the north. In a southerly direction, they swam west, destroying the Zuzim at Ham, which protected the crossroads from Megiddo to the sea. In southern Transjordan, they defeated the Emin at Shaveh Kiryatayim. After successfully penetrating the Araba, they swung to Kadesh to destroy the Amalekites. Genesis mentions only a few cities, but there are probably many more that were destroyed. Six hundred years later, the Israelites were given a route by the biblical account that identifies these people. In this period, they surrounded Palestine to enter the Jordan Valley via the same route as the invading kings, but from the south. The Rephaim inhabited Ammon formerly, and they were taller and more numerous than the Anakites. The nation had been eliminated earlier, and the Ammonites had reoccupied the land. Zuzim and Zamzumin are the same people in Genesis and Deuteronomy. According to Jewish Midrashic literature, Zamzumins are the offspring of an alliance between Canaanite women and Nephilim. Deuteronomy also refers to the Emin. According to Moab, it used to be inhabited by the Emin, people great and numerous, as tall as the Anakites. Like the Anakites, they are called Rephaim, but the Moabites called them Emin. Consequently, the day is coming when the Philistines will be destroyed, and Tyre and Sidon will be without helpers. Because the Lord is destroying the Philistines, the remnant of Kaftor's coastland. Baldness has come upon Gaza, and Ashkelon has perished. How long will you gash yourself, remnants of the Anakim? Abraham and his family settled near Beersheba after Sodom and other cities in the Valley of Sidim were destroyed. They needed to pay homage to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, who apparently ruled the area at the time. Abraham lived in the western hill country when the Philistines occupied it. To live there, Abraham had to obtain land rights and permission from the landowner. In the aftermath of the pact, Abimelech and Phicol, chief of his troops, left and returned to Philistine territory.
It is evident from this statement that even though the Philistines did not live here, they controlled the land. Abimelech's chief of troops appeared to indicate that they had a large military force on hand to enforce their claim. During natural disasters that spoiled the end of the Middle Kingdom in Egypt, the exodus is believed to have occurred in the 15th century BC. During this time of chaos, Moses led a ragtag army of refugees out of Egypt to reach Canaan. From their position in the Negev, the Amalekites could easily penetrate Egypt due to government and military power collapse. As the refugees under Moses attempted to enter Canaan, this force of professional warriors met them. They were also moving westward. After a pitched battle at Rephidim and several skirmishes, Moses was convinced they could not penetrate this formidable army. With a disintegrating government and disorganized army, the Amalekites, almost unopposed, occupied the delta of Egypt. Following their departure from Egypt, the Israelites entered the wilderness of Shur by the most direct route to Canaan. On the 15th of the second month, they camped at Befidim. Amalekite hordes were encountered here. The battle with the Amalekites was only one of many. It was a costly victory for Moses, since they were hard-pressed and close to defeat. Deuteronomy 25 recounts how the descendants of the Rephaim harassed Moses' migrating force continuously. Kabbalah answers those questions. Every person has challenges. Every person is going through something painful. Every person has questions about life that remain unanswered. There is a desire for wisdom that is truthful for all souls of humanity with all religious backgrounds, with all cultural differences. Kabbalah is a unifying wisdom, is a unifying force. It answers all your questions. You learn a system. Any question you've ever had about life, about destiny, about Maybe I'll sign up God, for that too. about the universe, <laughs> about... Right now. Yeah. I'll just sign up quickly so um, we can get back to the show. Oh no. Tell me something. What brought you into the mouth? Why were you interested in it? I came to a course and I was blown away. I felt I was learning the secrets of this universe. And everything I applied worked. People will have a system. Finally a system they can go to. When this happens, I do that. When X happens, I do Y. Kabbalah is a universal ancient wisdom that existed since the beginning of time that explains the DNA and mapping of the soul. It explains why each and every single one of us came to this world, what's our purpose, years, and why we go through what we go through. Pain is actually a shell, as we're going to learn, that encapsulates a spark of light. You need to break the shell and release the spark. Kabbalah is helping us be less robotic, to have more free will. Kabbalah is making us think and ask questions, to take control over our lives again, 
why am I attracting this person? Why am I attracting this person who's irritating me, who's making me angry? Why am I attracting a scenario where my employees keep leaving me? The beauty of Kabbalah is, is that you can explain everything that we're going through, personally and globally. If everyone in the world just heard the first class of Kabbalah, the world would change immediately. We're not telling people to have less. Kabbalah is about having it all and not settling for anything less than it all. That's our birthright. That's the reason why we came to this world. That's why the Creator created us. The game is meant to be won, and each one of us will win the game. During your journey after you left Egypt, Amalek surprised you on the march when you were famished and weary and cut down all the stragglers in your rear without fear of God. As a result of the ferocity of the Amalekites' attacks, Canaan's direct approach was sealed at Rephidim. Nevertheless, they were to be blocked once more before turning south and taking an indirect route into Palestine. Christopher Gavinator Show Politics AF, and we also do Ancient History as well, Pro Democracy Podcasts, Michael Sarian, or we should do some Michael Sarian, have a psychic vampires. I think we'll be doing that in the future, in the very near future. Podcasting all the live long day. Michael McPherson. Yeah. Yourself.
Michael, who's Michael McPherson? Sounds like a pretty amazing um, scholar. Let's check who this is. Michael McPherson, Urban Institute, a nationally known economist whose expertise focuses on the interplay between education and economics. It doesn't sound like the same guy. Art director of the Desert Leaf, the fifth president of the Spencer Foundation, academic, might be this, and is a non-resident senior fellow in the Center on Education Data and Policy at the Urban Institute. We're doing the Spencer Foundation news. Hmm. Looks like there's a bunch of uh, Michael McPherson's Brookings Institution. There's an MD in Lubbock. Looks kind of almost, almost handsome, except for his nose. <laughs> uh, Michael McPherson, Arizona. 21 records. Hmm. I can't find it. I don't think that's any of those with him. Um. Sumerian origins, Enoch, Metatron, Michael, who is Michael McPherson? of Enoch, Esoterica, The Mysterious Origins of the Angel Metatron from the Third Book of Enoch. Hmm. And makes him Metatron angel and ruler of all princes. God takes Enoch to heaven and makes him Metatron Angel and ruler of all princes. Man became an angel more massive than Earth with 365,000 eyes. <laughs> wow, cool. Uh, Metatron, the man who became an angel more massive than Earth. Let's go for that. Mythology explains. Guys, I know you think all those puzzle answers think. Subscribe, even though I haven't even heard it yet, but we uh, skip the ads. There you go, Tristan. As an angel, his form was larger than the whole... Before we get started, I just want to mention that only 10.6% of you are subscribed. So, if you want to support the channel and future content, then please subscribe. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to Mythology Explained. In today's video, we're going to discuss Metatron, perhaps the greatest of all the angels when considered in context of the constellation of non-scripture writings that pertain to the Abrahamic religions. Formerly a man, he was chosen by God to become an angel. As an angel, his form was larger than the whole of the earth. He had 65,000. I wonder if there's any... Um... Relation between 365 and 1,000 eyes and 365 days of the year. 
Like each each day is like one of Metatron's or a thousand Metatron eyes. Two wings, each one larger than the earth, and yet hundreds of thousands of eyes, each one brimming with God's glory. Let's get into it. In the aggregate, when considering all of the auxiliary, non-canonical works, here meaning works that pertain to the Abrahamic religions but aren't scripture, many believe Metatron is presented as the greatest of all the celestial servants, greater even than Archangel Michael, and second only to God in power. The etymology of his name is a matter of some debate. Eleazar of Worms, a Jewish rabbi of the late 12th and early 13th centuries CE, claimed it was based on the Latin word metator, which meant guide or measurer, and Hugo Odberg, a Swedish professor and theologian, claimed the name was purely of Jewish origin, and that it was a metonym for the epithet Little Yahweh, meaning something like one who occupies the throne next to the divine throne. This supports the notion of Metatron residing in the seventh heaven, the uppermost tier in which God resides. In Traditions of the Jews too, written by Johann Andreas Eisenmenger, a 17th century scholar who studied rabbinical literature, Metatron is described as the angel of death. Daily instructions are given to him by God as to which souls were to be reaped. And just as he was God's delegate in this matter, so did Metatron operate through his deputies, Samael and Gabriel. Another story that presents eminent angels as subordinate to Metatron is told in the Chronicles of Jeremiel, a voluminous series of chronicles compiled by Elisar ben Asher, who is thought to have lived during the 14th century. Yanis and Yamres, two Egyptian sorcerers who managed to ascend to heaven through use of their black arts, were so formidable that archangels Michael and Gabriel were unable to expel them. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> they kind of crashed. Crashed the gates in heaven. <laughs> Magicians. Interesting. I like that. black arts were so formidable that archangels Michael and Gabriel were unable to expel them. As the story goes, it wasn't until Metatron intervened and exerted his own power that these two sorcerers were cast out of the divine domain. Many exalting appellations are ascribed to Metatron, including Prince of the Divine Face, Chancellor of Heaven, divine Chief of the Faith. Ministering Angels, Angel of the Covenant, the Lesser of Yahweh, and King of Angels. His charge is the sustenance of all mankind, and in the Talmud, a compilation of ancient Jewish teachings, and in the Targum, Aramaic translations of the Hebrew Bible, he is presented as a link between heaven and earth, between the realm of the divine and the realm of humanity. One of his origin stories claims that he was originally the patriarch Enoch. Supposedly, really he attained much esteem in the eyes of God for both the enormity of his goodness and his incredible skill as a scribe. The Book of Enoch is a pseudepigraphal work, meaning it is a work originally attributed to a figure of the past or created by an author who claimed to be a figure of the past. In the case of the Book of Enoch, it is a book written by a person falsely claiming to be Enoch. 
the seventh patriarch in the book of Genesis. Another example is the author Pseudo-Dionysius, a philosopher and theologian who wrote influential religious treatises in late 5th or early 6th century. CE, such as the one that delineates the nine choirs of the celestial hierarchy. His work was originally attributed to Dionysius the Areopagite, a biblical figure who lived in the first century CE who was converted by Saint Paul of Athens. As described in the book of Enoch, Enoch was transported to heaven. Upon his arrival, he was treated to a tour of creation. Afterwards, God selected him as the recipient of an unparalleled honor to leave humanity behind and join the angelic ranks. This transformation was marked by 1,365,000 blessings. His stature swelled, enlarging until he was nearly the size of the earth itself. 72 wings, each one the size of the earth, unfurled from his back, and on him opened 365,000 eyes each one suffused with God's glory. Following his ascension, the heralds of heaven went forth, proclaiming to every part and every person in the celestial plane that Metatron was to be bestowed with a great honor beyond his angelic ascension. He was to be seated in the seventh heaven, the highest heaven, on a splendid throne. And it was said that all who wished to approach the throne of God must first approach Metatron, for his old form was shed superseded by his new incarnation, the Prince of Wisdom and of Understanding. And to consecrate and complete this transfiguration, Metatron became a flame, his bones and sinews like white-hot steel, his eyes blazing like open furnaces, and the skin that clad him with quintessence of heat itself. Realized in this new form, Metatron was such an awesome and majestic figure that one angel was overcome by the sight of him, prostrating himself and proclaiming that heaven now had two masters. Of course, even espoused only by a single angel, this notion could not be tolerated. An example had to be made so that it was known unequivocally there was but one God. It was ordered that Metatron be humbled through humiliation. He was flogged sixty times with a whip of fire by the angelic prince, Anaphiel. Metatron's story begs the question, why was it that Enoch, of all the biblical figures, was chosen for this honor? Well, in the Zohar, a fundamental literary work of Jewish mystical thought, Enoch is described as being born with the divine spark, a nucleus of spiritual perfection. Originally, it was within Adam, but his stewardship of it ceased after his being became married by sin. Because Enoch was endowed with this divine spark, it was decided by God that he must be brought to heaven, where he could transcend his humanity and be clothed in a new form and be imbued with unfathomable power so that both his appearance and potency reflected the perfection within him. Regardless of whether Enoch experiences a metamorphosis in which he becomes an angel, his ascension to heaven is described in the book of Genesis 5-24. Enoch walked with God, and he was not for God took him. Also, there's another version of Metatron's origin, which is the one given in the Tanhuna Genesis, claiming Metatron was formerly the Archangel Michael.
In the alphabet of Ben Sira, an anonymous work of the Middle Ages, dated somewhere between 700 and 1000 CE, a marriage between God and Earth, Elohim and Edom, is described. As demanded by God, Adam is loaned by Earth for 1000 years. A formal receipt is written. Archangels Michael and Gabriel stood as witnesses, and the transaction, so to speak, was meticulously and dutifully recorded by Metatron, the divine scribe responsible for recording all that transpired, every dealing, every detail, from the minute to the monumental. Indeed, this was one of Metatron's chief duties, creating and keeping the infinite archives of the Lord. And because these archives contain every word written about every detail of the universe since the moment of creation, they defy human comprehension. Because much of what is communicated through religious scripture is metaphorical and allegorical, and because much of what is done in religious scripture isn't directly attributed by name to angelic figures, this creates ambiguity that yields many interpretations. As such, Metatron has been identified with several passages in both the Old and New Testaments, despite not being named in either. In Genesis 32, he's associated with the angel who wrestles Jacob. In Isaiah 21, he's connected to the Watcher. And in Exodus 23:20, he's linked with the angel who appears. Behold, I send an angel before thee, to keep thee in the way, and to bring thee unto the place which I have prepared. And that's it for this video. If you enjoy the content, please like the video, and subscribe to the channel. As always, leave your video suggestions down below. Generous child sponsors and hardworking families have helped make this a community with the lowest migration rate in all of Honduras. Right.